Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. I am so glad and honored and privileged to be able to share God's Word with you um, this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor Steve, for this opportunity. I am always excited whenever he says, hey, you get to preach on Sunday. Um, It means I get to study even more, and I love that, to be honest. So today, as you can tell, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and I love Romans chapter 12 so much. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is hovering at about 30,000 feet, and he's talking about really lofty um, ideas. He's talking about things that are important, but are kind of hard to grasp and understand. Talking about grace and forgiveness, how we're made right with God, the differences between believers, and even how Israel fits into the picture. But in Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, Romans chapter 12 through 16, it talks about how all that is practical. How, what do we do with what we know about God. So this is how we live that out. And so we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, but just a little um, preface uh, before I begin. Um, So I spent a couple of uh, months trying to prepare for uh, this paper that I was writing. And so I have a lot of ideas and a lot of different words, and that's just because I did a lot of study in college about these couple verses. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. The therefore that Paul puts there, it's because he's talking about everything he talked about in the last 11 chapters. He says, therefore, in view of everything that God has done for you, in view of everything that God has done for us, all the mercies that he has shown us, This is what I'm going to tell you about. And so here, Paul is pulling from the Old Testament to talk about sacrifices. And in the Old Testament, in the Jewish religion, there was two different types of sacrifices. There's the sacrifice um, to atone for your sins. And then there's the sacrifice of praise and offering and thanksgiving. And of course, Jesus, he already took care of the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. So that leaves us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, out of praise and out of gratitude for all that Jesus has done as a living sacrifice, as our worship. And so the NIV translates the true and proper. um, It's our true and proper worship. And I found there's two more significant meanings that um, in my studies. And so in the ESV, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another word that makes sense in that, in that context is your logical worship, your reasonable worship. Offering your bodies to God is logical and it's reasonable after you understand everything that he has done for you. Offering your whole selves, your body, your mind, and your spirit to God is rational and logical and is the only response to his unbelievable mercy. So one mistake that we often make whenever we're interpreting this verse So God is asking us to give him a living sacrifice. So we think that that means giving him our time or our money or energy. And it means giving him our talents and our gifts. But that is not what this verse is talking about. That is not the case. Paul is pleading for us to sacrifice ourselves, the entire being of ourselves, our body, our mind, our spirit, who we really are on the inside. That is what Paul is asking us to sacrifice to God. So in my studies, um, Oswald Chambers, he said, we have the idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. 
There's actually only one thing that you can dedicate to God, and that is the right to yourself. If you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you, and his experiments always succeed. The one true mark of a saint of God is the inner creativity that flows from being totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. The one thing that we can offer God to give him back for everything he has done to us is a total surrendered life back to him. Paul continues in verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is not talking about a new subject here. This is directly tied to verse 1 because we cannot be renewed. We cannot be transformed into a new person apart from offering and surrendering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Surrender comes first, and then comes the transformation, and then comes the new creation. So the word world that this talks about, it refers to um, the practices and the beliefs and the evil actions of this world. That same word is often translated as age. And so Paul, he would later go on and say that this age is evil, or the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the gospel. Paul is demanding us in very strong language, don't be conformed to this way of life. I love the way that the J.B. Phillips um, paraphrase says it. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold you, remold your minds from within. So my college pastor um, from my old church, he helped me come up with this illustration. Uh, but whenever I read that, it imagine, I imagine that we are like Play-Doh. We're kind of like wet clay. And God, whenever we come to God, he's shaping us and he's molding us into the, the creation he wants us to be in. But the world, it's always squeezing us. It's always squishing us and always trying to get us to fit into its mold. And so that's why we have to continually come back to God to allow him to reshape us and to remold us. And then we long for the day whenever the the new age has finally come and we're finally fired and we're finally dried and we're finally hold the shape that God has for us. But until then, we're that white clay and the world's always going to continue to squish us, always going to continue to try to get us to take its mold. And the verbs that Paul uses in these two verses, they imply that. It's a continual action. It says, don't let... The, the world continually, or don't be continually transformed or conformed into the world, but be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not a one-time thing. We have to continually go back to God, into his word, into prayer, and allow him to transform by the renewing of our minds. I love how powerful, uh, the powerful imagery that the Bible gives us in this verse. So the word in the original language for be transformed uh, is the Greek word metamorpho. And that kind of sounds familiar because that's where we get the, the English word for the process that happens to a caterpillar whenever it becomes a butterfly, metamorphosis. And so that is the exact same word that God wants us to go through. The Bible is so clear. The transformation that God desires for us to have is not just one of outward appearance. It's not how we dress. It's not what we listen to. It's not what we say. It's not even what church we go to. But it is a complete transformation into a new creation. It doesn't matter that we start getting our act together. It doesn't matter that we start living right if we're not transformed on the inside into a new creature. That is what the Bible is talking about. So whenever I read that, how, how are we supposed to be renewed? What is the fuel 
that, that enacts that metamorphosis. Transformation happens when the renewed mind, it begins to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Because it is the will of God. It's his holy standards. It's his desires, his motives, his values, and his practices, which gradually pull the monarch butterfly of the believer out of the cocoon that the world has pushed us in. It's knowing what God desires, and it's trying to put that into practice in our own life that pulls us out. It is the knowledge and the practice of the will of God that leads to spiritual growth, leads to transformation, and leads to maturity in the Christian life. But it all goes back to sacrifice. What are we willing to surrender to God? What about ourselves are we willing to sacrifice in order to be transformed by God? The caterpillar had to sacrifice its right to be a caterpillar in order to become the butterfly. So what are we willing to offer God? What are we willing to sacrifice from our own lives to become the new creation that God so desperately wants for us? So verses 3 through 8, it, talks, it goes on um, about how, what this looks like inside the church. And so I encourage you guys to go on and read this when you get home because it's a great um, passage about how we're all members of the same body, how, how we interact and how our gifts um, complement each other and how we uh, work in unity. But for the sake of this message, I'm going to go down to verse 9, um, and we're going to go from 9 through 21. So the theme of this passage, it's kind of hard to nail down because Paul's all over the place. He says one thing, and then he goes on and he says another. But if we had to put a title to this passage... What is Paul talking about? It's how do we get along with each other? Get along with each other. Knowing everything we know by God, this is how we put it into practice. Knowing that God wants us to be transformed, knowing that God wants us to sacrifice our life as a living sacrifice, this is how it's done. This is what it looks like. So the commands that Paul has for us here in these couple verses, they are not easy, and they're not even comfortable but living them out, walking in the word that God has for us is the rational and it's the logical response to all that God has done for us. And so the Roman church that Paul was writing to, they faced, faced conflict on two different fronts. Much like the church today, they faced opposition from those outside the church, from the unbelievers in the Roman city, but they also faced disunity and disagreements inside their own church. There's major differences between the Jewish, and the Gentile believers. And so these are the two conflicts that Paul is trying to address. He's trying to get them to understand how to live, live as a Christian in a world where there's opposition on two fronts. So he says in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So sincere in the original language, it literally means let love not be hypocritical. And hypocritical in, in Paul's day, uh, that was the word that they used for actors who put on masks to be portrayed as somebody else. And so Paul says, whenever you love somebody, let it not be a fake mask. Let it not be a false facade. He says, our love for everyone, those that we agree or disagree with inside the church or outside the church, must be genuine. Our love must not be hidden behind a mask. And we have to hate that word it literally means to be in horror of, to be terrified of everything that is evil and be glued to everything that is good. Paul continues in verse 10. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. 
Now this verse, that is so counter to our culture, to the age that we live in, because the anthem of this age is to look out for yourself. Make sure that you get ahead. Do whatever it takes to get up the ladder to make sure that you succeed. But those mottos, when we live them out, they never bring unity. Instead, they probably further divide the divide that happens in our country. Those mottos were also written in the Garden of Eden. Get ahead for yourself. Do whatever you can to succeed. And as easy as it sounds, it takes a life of sacrifice to truly honor somebody above yourself, especially those you disagree with. Like imagine that you're trying to pull into Walmart and somebody gets a spot in front of you. You're walking down the aisle and somebody cuts you off or somebody just says something bad about you. It's so hard to try to live that life of honoring that person above yourself. But that is what the Bible is telling us to do. And and whenever we do it, that is the kind of sacrifice that God desires for life. And that is more evidence that we are uh, living that life. We're being transformed from the inside out. Paul continues in verse 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. So in verse 12, it says, be patient in affliction. That is the first evidence that persecution is going on outside the church. And Paul, he was no stranger for being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. We read throughout his epistles and through the book of Acts that Paul was constantly being persecuted. He was um, being stoned and left for dead. He was being shipwrecked. People would um, riot wherever he was speaking. He would get arrested for the gospel that he was preaching. And so he was no stranger to this kind of uh, persecution for the message that he was preaching. And he was also writing to the believers in, the Rome, in Rome. And the emperor at that time, Emperor Nero, he w- this was the early days of his reign. And so if we think that we have some bad candidates for, for leadership, Emperor Nero, uh, they would never hold a candle to Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero, he, he would later go on to uh, give um, or to offer to, to persecute the Christians, and he would send them out into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. That's why the Colosseum is on the back of uh, this screen. He would even uh, light the Christians on fire and burn them at a stake. He would uh, he burned down the city of Rome, and he blamed it on the Christians just so that he could be justified to persecute them even more. And so Paul, he is writing to those exact same Christians. The Christians who would read his letter would go on and face that persecution. And he is writing to him. He says, keep your zeal. Never lose your fervor. That fire that you had whenever you first believed for, for God, don't let anyone take that away from you. Even though things don't look good right now, and even though things might not even get better, find your joy in the hope of the gospel. The hope that one day Jesus will come again and make all things right. Because once your attention is focused on that hope, that Jesus will one day come back, that one day everything will be made right, you will have what it takes to be patient no matter what afflictions are being thrown our way. Paul continues in verse 13. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Again, whenever I read that, I'm just taken aback. I'm like, what are you trying to tell us to do, Paul? Like if someone curses us, like we have to bless them instead. If someone uh, makes us upset, we have to be, um, be happy to them instead. We have to be glad that they are doing that to us. But Paul, he wasn't even talking about people making fun of Christians. He wasn't even talking about people uh, making them mad in a Walmart parking lot. 
He's talking about whenever we're being persecuted, like these Christians were facing um, martyrdom, like they were being persecuted for their faith with their life. And it is evidence of a transformed life whenever we bless those who curse us. The Apostle Peter, he says the same thing in 1 Peter 3. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. As Christians, we are called to bring light into this dark world. And so whenever uh, darkness comes, we're not called to fight that darkness with more darkness because then we're just left in the dark. Instead, whenever darkness is thrown away, we are called to extinguish that darkness with the light that is inside of us. Jesus in the Gospels, he says that we are the light of the world. Whenever the darkness, whenever we face that darkness, we shine that light and it extinguishes it. Jesus is our example of this principle because he even prayed for those who were nailing him to the cross. And even the um, disciple Stephen, he was the first martyr in the Christian church, he prayed for those who were killing him because he knew that darkness could not be fought with darkness. It can only be fought with light. Jesus, he go, or Paul goes on in verse 15, says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. These are taken directly from Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is more evidence. Whenever we um, identify with those around us, how they're feeling, whenever they feel um, things are going bad, whenever they're happy, things are going good, whenever we identify with those people, this is more evidence that we're living the life of sacrifice. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul's, of course, repeating himself there, but he's giving it to us straight because there was strong evidence in the Roman church that the Jewish believers were looking down on the Gentile believers because they thought they had it all figured out. The Jewish believers, they had um, a higher position. They had more affluence. And the Gentiles are probably just a little bit um, poor and they're coming in in a humble position. And so there was that kind of disagreement going on in the Roman church. And Paul says, don't let that happen. Paul is stressing the fact that if anyone would look down on another believer with contempt or conceit for any reason, then they had not truly grasped the unbelievable good news of the gospel, that we were all saved by grace. They have not been changed by that grace. And even in the church today, um, there's so many disagreements. One is just on mask. Um, People have so many disagreements on that. Do they work? Do they not work? Should they be enforced? Should they not be enforced? And so on. And so people think that the other person is judging the other person. Whether you're wearing a mask, people think that they're judging um, each other. And Paul is saying that harmony is more evidence that the body is sacrificing for each other. And that harmony flows from people who are not proud. It flows from people who are not afraid to associate with any other person, whether they agree or disagree with them. Paul continues in verse 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is again saying, don't fight darkness with darkness. Darkness can only be overcome with light, and that light is from the gospel of Christ living inside of us. Again, Paul is he's telling the Roman church and us, try to live at peace with everybody. This includes peace with Christians and non-Christians, those in the church and those outside of the church, because it takes two people to fight. So if, if one person is choosing not to fight, then there's no fight. There's no, um, there's no conflict there if one person is choosing not to engage into the conflict. And so the point that Paul is trying to make in this last section, what does this have to do with sacrifice, this, this life of love? It is that we are, what we do to others we are to do what to, to others what God has done for us every single day, and that is to forgive as we have been forgiven. Not to look for reasons for disagreement, not to look for reasons to take revenge, but to look re- for reasons to forgive and show grace and mercy just as we have been shown that grace and mercy in our life. So Paul talks a, um, a, a lot about sacrifice in this chapter, and it brings the images um, the pictures in our head of, of martyrdom. Christians giving their physical life for the sake of the gospel. Martyrdom is a very real aspect of Christianity, and it's been happening in the church ever since the very beginning, starting with the disciple Stephen, all the way up to it's still happening all over the world today, of Christians giving their life for the sake of the gospel. And so there comes a time in every Christian's walk with God where we come to the conclusion that I would die for the gospel. I would die for the sake of Jesus. And then we imagine what that would look like and what it would be like to have our story written in the book of martyrs. And so Fred Craddock, I found this quote and I thought it was a great way to tie it all together. He's addressing a group of ministers and he brings us back to the real life applications of what it looks like to live our life as a sacrifice while also loving others. And so for for most Christians, True, true sacrifice will be measured in a thousand small acts of love and not in a martyr's fire. So the quote says, to give my life for Christ appears glorious, to pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I will do it. I am ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table saying, here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 check for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life for Christ is not glorious. It is done in those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It is harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. There's a great difference between giving your life for Christ in one big act of love versus the daily small acts of love. But the living sacrifice that Paul is talking about is those little acts of love for each other, whether it's believers or non-believers. We're living the Christian life. It's not glorious, but it's what we do every single day, 25 cents at a time, that makes a difference for eternity. 
a living sacrifice is a person who in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has done for us, in view of all the dark places that God has pulled us out, lives his or her life with a renewed mind and has a ready gift of mercy for others, for everyone to come in contact, to show them that gift of grace that God has given us. So church, right now, if there has ever been a time in history, now is the time to put aside our differences and truly love others, truly serve people, whether they're inside the church or outside the church. And now is the time to show the world for who we really are, who we represent, and let the light inside of us shine in the darkness. Romans 12, 12, we'll end with this. says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Be joyful in the hope that Jesus is one day coming back. And whenever he does, we don't have to worry about being squished by the world anymore. Patient in affliction, because there's affliction every, every time we turn around, every time we turn on TV. Be patient in affliction and faithful in prayer, because whenever we pray, God moves and God changes things. But whenever we pray, he is transforming us and he is renewing us in our mind. Jesus, I thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much for the grace that you have for us. God, I thank you so much that you loved us so much to die for us and that there is nothing that we can ever do to ever earn that, to ever deserve that, but it is a free gift. So God, I thank you for that grace and that mercy because none of us in here are are deserving of it. And Father, I pray you just give us the power to go out and with every step that we take, with every word that we speak and show others that grace, show others that mercy. God, I pray that the the vessel that you have for us, I I pray that all the cracks that are inside of us, that your light is able to shine through those, that those cracks that that are in us, that, that we don't hide behind those, but instead your light shines through those and extinguishes the darkness. God, I pray that as we get hit by darkness whenever we walk out of here, I pray that you just give us the boldness to live in your light instead. Father, I pray you just help us live that out. I thank you for every person in here. I ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up, please.